Welcome. Church of the Advent is an Anglican congregation in Denver, Colorado, that seeks to share in the life of God by redefining and reorienting everything around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you are challenged, encouraged, and move closer toward the gospel by this week's message. So the, the Anglican Church in North America sets aside this Sunday, this next to last Sunday in Epiphany as World Mission Sunday. We reflect on the mission of God. I wonder what does the word missionary stir up in you? Like some of you, I've been on a lot of short-term mission trips, some long, longer-term. Anyone who's been on a short-term mission trip? Many of you. Um, I spent much of my 20s overseas, in fact, as a missionary. Now, the average Western Christian thinks of missionaries like this. This is a, a picture of me. Um, you can sort of see it. Very young me, very fresh-faced. Um, we painted this mural in the slums of Jakarta, Indonesia, and we worked with these kids, and we helped them get the food and school supplies they needed. And this is, this is kind of what most people think of. This is a missionary, right? They travel to foreign countries. They share about Jesus. Well, a Western non-Christian or a non-believer is likely to think very negatively, actually, about this idea. An old peer of mine named, named Brandon, uh, when, I, when I first sent out a fundraising, fundraising letter for this, um, this mission trip, his response was blunt. He said, sorry, Jordan, I don't support proselytizing people to your religion. Thank you for your honesty, Brandon. <laughs> so people like Brandon, they have their reasons, of course. You know, there's, if you don't believe there's any good news to share then perhaps they see Christian missionaries basically as, as colonizers or maybe they're taking their cues from mega-wealthy televangelists as, as crooks. I understand. Matthew 28, though, can help us correct um, some of these misunderstandings, both, both the Christian one and the, the non-Christian one that I've laid out here. It shows us that missionaries are not just a select few elite special forces Christians, those, those, those super spiritual professional Christians who go abroad. And it shows us that authentic missionaries of Christ are, are not colonizers or, or crooks. So what are they? Well, to answer that question, I want to just tell a story. I want to tell us the biblical story. In fact, the whole Bible is one cohesive, grand, sweeping, beautiful story about God's mission in the world. The Bible is missional. And unless we situate missions within this bigger story, we will reduce it to something far less than, than it is. So I want to look at this story in three chapters, and gradually they kind of narrow in scope. So the first chapter is God's mission in creation, and the second chapter is God's mission in community, well, the church, God's mission in the church, and then lastly, God's mission in you. So first, God's mission in creation. I want to begin with a, a definition of terms, if you could bring up that first, oh, perfect. Um, in his really wonderful work on mission, if you're interested in a more academic study, this is the book, The Mission of God, Christopher Wright. Wright summarizes our mission this way. He says, fundamentally, our mission means our committed participation as God's people, at God's invitation, in God's command, in God's own mission. Circle that. Within the history of God's world for the redemption of God's creation. So right out of the gate, Wright's definition, what does it do? It reverses something really important. Our mission isn't really our mission at all. It is God's mission. And we participate in it. That we simply participate in God's mission is summed up well by this Latin phrase, the missio dei. You may have heard it. The mission of God. And we use that language, we're acknowledging this is God's mission, and our role is not to lead it, but is to get swept up in it and to follow him on mission. 
And so Jesus' parting words in the Gospel of Matthew that we read this morning, that's our text, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, this, this definitive summary of what it means to be uh, empowered on Christian mission from Jesus himself. If we dig down a little bit into Matthew 28, we uncover the Missio Dei just below the surface. How so? Well, can any of you, do any of you consider yourselves just amazing at skipping a stone on water? Some of you can. Um, just imagine there's four stone skips, okay? Four times the rock touches down and ripples the surface. Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 12, Matthew 28, and Acts 1 and 2. The Missio Dei. So in Genesis 1 and 2, the created purpose of men and women is to represent and reflect God. I often say angled mirrors, reflecting God's glory to the world and the world back to God, to be angled mirrors, okay, and to steward his creation. Now, think about these three words, presence, reflect, and flourish, presence, reflect, and flourish. God fills them with his spirit, his presence. He gives them uh, his own image so that they would reflect him in the world, and then, then he says, go, fill the earth flourish, multiply. He blesses them so that they will bless the world. So why does God create? Now again, Genesis is not, it's important when you're reading the Bible to understand genre. Genesis is not a modern scientific textbook. It is is, um, meant to teach us about who God is, not exactly how he created everything and who we are. It's fundamentally theological. So what does it teach us? It teaches us that God created everything And he created us in his image to reflect him and to flourish into the world as his image bearers. Okay, what happens? You know the story. I I tell it every week. I can't help but bring up Genesis 1 through 12 um, in every sermon. But man falls, sins, and as a result, creation flounders and fails. Man rejects God's rule. Man ignores God. Brother murders brother. Everything spirals. So what to do? Well, you know the Noah story. That's one sort of iteration of new creation. But then fast forward to Genesis 12, where again, God begins creating a new people for himself. He says to Abram, go, go to the land that I will show you. I will bless you and make your name great. In other words, you're going to fill the earth so that you will be a blessing. So again, we have God's presence here. We have this idea of going and flourishing and reflecting God to the world. As Abraham's story unfolds into Israel's story, we find echoes of Eden. God's presence, they're meant to reflect him, and they're meant to flourish. Presence, reflect, and flourish. Well, again, things go terribly wrong. People fail to reflect God and therefore to flourish, undercutting their ability to be a blessing. But then the stone skips a millennia away. And eventually touches down again in Matthew 28, where we read of Jesus commissioning his disciples. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you. Do you see it again? Presence. I am with you. Teach them to obey. Reflect me. Flourish. You know, as we get into Acts 1 and 2, 3,000 people are added to their number. All nations are gathered The point is this, do you see that the New Testament calls followers of Jesus, you and I, calls us descendants of Abraham by faith. Because Jesus, a descendant of Abraham, when we are joined to him by faith, we are not joining an altogether new mission, we are joining an ancient mission, Adam's mission, Abram's mission, the church's mission. To be with God, to reflect him to the world, and to go out and flourish into the world and multiply. Those words of Genesis 12, blessed to be a blessing, not just blessed, but blessed to be a blessing. All right, so let's come down now out of the biblical theological stratosphere. Thank you for hanging with me. 
What does this mean? Rooting our understanding of God's mission in the creation story corrects these two misunderstandings that I began with, of missions. To the Christian, it says, a missionary is not special forces elite unit. The Christian missionary is not a super spiritual professional Christian in rural Africa. A Christian is, by definition, a missionary. Someone who participates in the Missio Dei. Someone who has been filled with God's Spirit, given His presence, who has been blessed and sent by God to reflect Him and flourish into the world. In other words, you are a missionary. You are a missionary. It's sort of like they say you're a theologian. The question is whether or not you're a good one. I mean, you have beliefs about God. You are a mission. You're an ambassador for Christ if you're a Christian. You have been given his presence, which is empowering you to reflect him as you flourish into the world. This is why you were made. You were made for this, to be his ambassador, not just in Indonesia, but in, in your office spaces and in coffee shops around Denver, in your social media interactions, on the phone with the bank, in waiting rooms, in, in, chill, in your children's rooms. You were a missionary. And to the non-Christian, it suggests that to the extent that a Christian missionary has simply been a cultural colonizer or a greedy crook, they have been on their own mission. They have not been on the Missio Dei. Because the Missio Dei has always, always, always been toward blessing others, towards the flourishing of others, towards giving and blessing and outpouring, the same spirit that anointed Christ to free and restore and heal and to love others to death on the cross, that is the spirit that mobilizes you. That is the spirit that mobilizes those who are on the Missio Dei. So that's chapter one of the story, God's mission and creation. The point is this, from the beginning, God has had a mission to bless the world, and he created you and you and you and you and you to be a part of it. Now, the second chapter of the story of the Missio Dei is the Missio Dei in the church. Now, if you look at the heart of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, what do you see? You see two words, make what? Disciples. Put a pin in that. But for now, look at the substance of discipleship. Make disciples, how? What's the substance of it? Baptizing them and teaching them. So here, sisters and brothers, is the church. Word, sacrament, baptize, teaching. Jesus takes Matthew, yep. The church takes Matthew 28 at Jesus' words, and it's always defined the church this way, and including our own 39 articles, Article 19 of the church. There are basically two elements to every church of Christ. Wherever the word of God is faithfully preached and the sacraments duly administered. Word, sacrament, teach, baptize. You know, this remains the liturgy of our church today. Every morning we gather, liturgy of the word, liturgy of the table. We baptize and, and, and come around the table. Now, it's easy to see how teaching people about Jesus is missional. Talk about Jesus. Talk about his ethics. Talk about what he, what he taught, of course. But what about baptism? How is baptism missional? Well, first and foremost, it reminds us that becoming a Christian is being baptized into the Father and the Son and the Spirit. In other words, it's not qualifying to join a religious club because of certain intellectual beliefs. It's not even deciding to live a certain way, although it does actually involve these things, of course. But first and foremost, becoming a Christian is being baptized into the dance of love that is God's own inner life, Father, Son, and Spirit. So that now you have the same Spirit in you that cries, Abba, Father. It's living, it's living with this deep awareness that Jesus' final words to his disciples are true. I am with you always. And for this reason, the New Testament speaks of the church as a living organism, 
the body of Christ. Because she's this living network of, of, of organisms who are joined together in Christ through faith and baptism. Now, this leads some theologians to speak of the church as the ongoing incarnation of Christ in some sense. We are, as I was told many times, and you probably were too, his hands and feet. This concept really clicked for me when I was reading, I'm sorry to bring it up again, Lewis's Paralandria. Um, I, I took a Tolkien and Lewis class in seminary, so I did a deep dive. That's informing some of why I can't stop talking about them. Um, but, but Weston, the main character in the story, he was praying and hoping that God was going to send a miracle because the, the devil was destroying the planet, was deceiving everyone, and he felt overwhelmed and like he needed God to intervene. Otherwise, everything was going to be ruined. And so he's praying for a miracle, and then suddenly he stops and he has this epiphany. The light bulb goes off. God has sent a miracle. Me. I am here. I'm the only one here to help. And so what does he do? He picks up a rock, and like David, he slays Goliath. He invokes the Holy Trinity, and Weston smashes the devil with a stone to the face. See, God does work miracles from time to time. Some of you have borne witness to that. I've witnessed it, especially in my time abroad. But he seems to much prefer to use his word and sacrament-formed people. He seems to have a preference for using people, you and I. So to be baptized into Christ is to become his hands and feet, his body, literally the way he continues to be incarnate in the world to those in need, to your friends, to your family, to your neighbors, not by always being perfect. Some of you right now are thinking, wow, oh, I'm in trouble. Not by always being perfect, but even when you're very imperfect, by reflecting his gracious forgiveness as you stumble your way towards Christ. I take a lot of comfort in that as a parent, you know, Jenny and I, when we really get it wrong, like a sincere apology, you know, that's witnessing to our kids. A sincere getting on your knees and saying, I'm wrong, I was sorry, I'm sorry, please forgive me. That's actually witnessing to Christ and his grace. So we're going to highlight three of our mission teams this morning in a moment. And I just want to weave in one of our mission teams now, which is mine to highlight, our, our Cambodia mission team, which really illustrates this point I'm trying to make. Teach and baptize, word and sacrament. In other words, go plant word and sacrament communities, Jesus says. Go plant churches. The church is God's plan A for the world, and there is no plan B, according to the New Testament. And I'm convinced that, I know that can be weird to hear, I'm convinced, really honestly, by, by being in church ministry, that for every one awful public failure, there are many more stories of word and sacrament churches and Christians who have God's presence, who are reflecting him and are flourishing in imperfect but, but beautiful ways. And this is why Advent is committed to planting word and sacrament churches. We've joined the Three Streams Network, Church Planning Network. So I and we, we partner with rectors and churches in the front range. We, we partner financially and spiritually and in prayer. Right now we have one plant in, in BV. I visited there twice over the past four or five months to preach and serve. And they've hired Kyle Stanton from Trinity, um, Trinity Anglican down in uh, Highlands Ranch, Littleton. Um, to be their new rector, so they're getting off the ground. And then we have one plant going on in Golden with Daniel Coffey, who may visit here sometime in the coming months um, over far on the west side. And then we also have one established plant now. It's a few years in through Jesse Blaine, who's become a really good friend of mine. That's in Virginia Village. So we have three new word and sacrament communities who are, who are blessed by God to be a blessing. Praise the Lord for that. We're supporting that as a, as a church, but we're also supporting this church overseas in Cambodia. My friends Will and Becky, if you want to bring up the pictures, a little hard to see. They're down here in the corner having given blood. I'm going to tell that story now. There's Will. Um, 
serving communion, and this is Becky with her Friday night ministry with kids as they're doing some uh, classes and, and English classes and other life skills. So I want to share this testimony from, from their church plant. Um, Cambodia is less than 3% Christian. In 2023, they've almost completed all their language learning. They've opened a dorm ministry, and they've begun worshiping Jesus in their new ministry center, and people are coming in and hearing the gospel for the first time. But why? Not, again, not colonialism, not at all. Here's what the Missio Day looks like in Becky's own words. Listen to this story. She says, the blood bank situation in Cambodia is complicated. Usually when accidents happen, and they frequently do, friends and family and neighbors with the same type of blood need to rush to the hospital to donate their blood for surgery. Well, Will and I are both O positive. So when we found out that a high need for O positive blood donations, we asked our friend Heidi to tell us when there were really special high need cases. So back in October, Heidi alerted us about a young 12-year-old girl who was having a tumor removed from her leg who didn't have enough donated blood. Will and I hopped on a tuk-tuk, found the right hospital, explained the situation to the staff, and gave one bag of blood each. The doctor then told us that two bags of O-positive blood were the exact type and amount they needed to complete the surgery. The girl's father came up to us while we were donating, and he was asking us why. Why, why did we do this? And we got to tell him that was because we followed Jesus, and we wanted to reflect his love to his people that he loves. And we told him all of this in the native language of Khmer. And then we prayed with him, and we told him we were praying for his daughter and his family and that Jesus loved them very much. Now, Becky goes on to say, I share this story not to paint us as some kind of heroes, but because this is a simple, easy thing to give on our part, but so crucial to receive, just like the good news that is ours to share. It's actually simple to share in simple, kind, sacrificial, loving ways, and it's so important for the world, as we see around us, to encounter the sacrificial love and kindness from Christ's people. Therefore, I urge you, says Romans 12, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Isn't that beautiful? Now that's the incarnation continuing, giving literally of blood for the life of the world through his word and sacrament formed people. That's the Missio Dei. And that's what will help this world flourish. Well, lastly, and then we'll move on to our, our other testimonies. Chapter 3 of the story, I'll be brief. The Missio Dei and, and you. So we've done creation and the church, and what about you? I told you to pin, make disciples, let's return there. Here's the basic task of the missional community, make disciples. In other words, Jesus doesn't see the making and forming of Christians into deep discipleship as different from missions. Formation and missions are like this. If we aren't deeply formed as disciples, we have nothing to share. And so the work we do here on Sunday morning, even now, is, is very much missional as we're being formed in God's word. Now, it's been common for some time to differentiate between like Catholic and practicing Catholic. Some of you grew up as Catholic. Some of you grew up as practicing Catholics. Some of you grew up going to mass like once on Easter a year. Well, I think it's time to actually do the same thing with the word Christian and certainly <laughs> with the word evangelical. Um, you know, most evangelicals, according to politics, don't actually go to church, for example. So what does it really mean to be a disciple, a disciple of Jesus? In his book, Practicing the Way, and this is a bit of a preview for a curriculum we're going to launch later this year, John Mark Comer lays it out really well. He says, Jesus did not invent discipleship. Discipleship was the pinnacle of first century Jewish education, like an Ivy League PhD program today. 
So if you were the absolute best of the best of the brightest, a rabbi would consider your application. And if you were one of the lucky few he would consider, then he would turn to you and say, come, follow me. And when he said that, everything changed. Everything. Your life revolved around three simple goals, and I mean revolved around completely, 24-7. Be with your rabbi. Not during class, not from 9 to 5, always 24-7, class is life. Second, become like your rabbi. You would literally copy your rabbi's mannerisms and tone of, of voice and speech. Plagiarism, like all out. So be with your rabbi, become like your rabbi, and then finally do as your rabbi did. The entire point was just to become exactly like your rabbi. And if you were successful, and that's a big if, if you were successful, he would say to you at your graduation ceremony, go and make disciples, which meant you were now a rabbi. So that is what discipleship meant then. That's what it means now. It's very simple. We're to be with Jesus, baptized into him. He is always with us 24-7. We are to become like Jesus, imitating his way of living and speaking and loving, and we're ultimately to do what he did. Do you see it? Presence, reflect, flourish, the ancient mission of God for his people. In some ways, the simplest way to think about what mission actually is, it's just this, apprentice Jesus. Apprentice him. Be his disciple. Be with him. Become like him. Go and do as he did. It's that simple. Now, it takes discernment, of course. There's a million ways to serve him in the world. We're going to invite um, a few people up to share about two of those ways. We do that as a church. Ultimately, the invitation is to go and love your neighbor. Here are two practical ways we are trying to love our neighbors. So if I can invite up, I'm not even sure who's sharing. One testimony around Mean Street, one testimony around Save Our Youth, which is Matt, I know. So come on up. Yeah, you can go first. Thank you. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, if any of you were here last time I spoke, I, I'm working on it. Trying to clarify, I wrote down some things instead of going ad lib. So um, I'm here to, yes, thank you. <laughs> um, I'm here to represent Mean Street Ministries um, and just our partnership with them. Um, we take part in a foot care clinic every month. Um, we are currently in process of um, developing what that looks like for the long term. Um, many of you know um, Heidi but she was coordinating all of that. And so since they are gone, um, Heidi and Pablo, we're, we're sort of working on organizing that. So uh, with much help, uh, we're, we're, we're moving forward. So once a month is when we meet. We are currently rotating between um, Saturdays and Thursdays. So we had previously just done Thursdays, and um, it was uh, meeting a great need there. But... Obviously, not everybody can be there on Thursdays. We don't, not, uh, volunteering is not always available during the week, so we opened up Saturdays and just had a great, um, great showing last two weeks ago, week and a half ago, um, and uh, we're, we were able to really do even more than just the, the foot care uh, need, but really uh, be a blessing to Mean Street themselves and many of the volunteer opportunities they have uh, as well. Um, it's an opportunity for us to show Christ's love to our homeless friends um, and meet a very practical need. Uh, the homeless are often walking, um, standing for long periods of time. Their feet, uh, they're out in the cold. They're sleeping in the cold. Um, their feet are, are taking a lot of abuse. And um, it's just an opportunity for us to, to, to be a blessing to them. 
Did you hear it in my voice? <clears throat> Sorry. Um, and then, so, we've just been asked to sort of share a, um, just a, a story of, of, of how we've seen God uh, working through this ministry. And um, I just, I keep coming back to, to the, our, our first um, opportunity to, to serve um, at Mean Street. It was, it was on a Maundy Thursday, and, um, which is just the, the, really the, the recognition of what Jesus did for his disciples of washing their feet. And um, many of the people whose feet we washed that, that first day really made that connection. Um, what I think, I think was, in many ways, very special to, to us that were there serving because it really represented and, and helped us recognize that, that we're, we're trying to model um, Christ. And, and that's, that's what Jordan's been talking about today. That's something that I think is a lifelong journey of, of all of us um, that know Christ, is to, to mimic him and follow him. Um, so that was just a, a very meaningful, uh, meaningful time, um, meaningful way to connect uh, with this ministry. I, I get, uh, for anybody who's interested, maybe feet are not your thing, and that's, that certainly is okay. Um, I don't know if any of you have, are familiar with the, the uh, I shouldn't have ad-libbed this, but the, what was the child's book, uh, Bible, that, the, with the, the really great drawings? Um, yes, the Jesus Storybook Bible. There was a, we used to read that to our kids uh, regularly, and there was a, a story about stinky feet. Um, and, and it was the story of Jesus. Uh, really, it was giving great application and understanding of how dirty people's feet were in that time. And, and how meaningful that would be to, uh, for Jesus to, to actually wash the, uh, those, uh, his disciples' feet. And um, I just I think of that, and I, I understand feet are not always very pleasant to look at, even our own, um, much less somebody else's. But there are, are many opportunities, many ways to serve. You don't, uh, certainly do not feel like you have to be um, washing people's feet, but um, serving in another of, a number of other capacities is, um, is a great way to, to take part in that. So um, one last thing I just, as I, as I alluded to, it, it's many times we are meeting a practical need in, in our, our brothers and sisters, but, but Jesus is doing a lot in us through this as well. Um, and we don't do it for the selfish reasons. We do it for, for for serving Christ and trying to become more like him. But he, through this, helps us to um, restore a right perspective in us, um, a, a perspective of, of his love for those around us. So. Is Gretchen here? No, she's not here this morning. I wanted to very quickly add, John, that was beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Just the relational connection that happens. Gretchen especially has connected so relationally with so many of these people. We had a woman this last week who didn't want to have her feet taken care of, but specifically asked for Gretchen and said, if Gretchen's here, could, could I talk to her? And Gretchen and some others convinced her to let them care for her feet, and she was really terribly frostbitten. So we, had, we brought in the paramedics, and the paramedics came and, and took her. So it was really awesome to see how the relational connection um, that Gretchen had, had poured into this person resulted in... Um, really important intervention. So it's a beautiful ministry. Matt, would you come on up and share about Save Our Youth? 
Thanks. Um, <clears throat> what a blessing it is to go to a church that understands the gospel and Christ's mission. Um, the powers that be have made our society in such a way that we could live our whole lives and never interact with someone who was a different race or a different income bracket than us. Um, and that is the opposite of God's kingdom. That's the opposite of how it'll be in the end. Um, and I think it's just really cool that the church cares about that. Um, what's going on over there at Mean Street? The face of Christ is hidden in the people on the margins. Um, he is there, and they will disciple us as much as we will disciple them. They'll teach us about the pace of the present moment and not being so obsessed with the future and money. Um, so God is calling you not only to love these people, but also to grow in your faith and to be a better disciple of him. Um, Save Our Youth uh, serves at-risk youth on the margins all over the city. And Advent's a regional church. We're a regional ministry, so it's a perfect partnership. For, all, for you that drive 45 minutes from up north to come to church here, God bless you. Uh, we, uh, we just hired a guy that lives up there, and we're going to slowly try and be expanding into that area. Um, but for everyone else, we serve the whole metro area from, um, you know, Littleton, Aurora, you know, Montbello, Green Valley Ranch, Thornton, Lakewood, everywhere. And we always have over 60 youth waiting for a mentor. Um, it's, it's a big commitment. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. It, you know, it's a weekly commitment. Take an evening of your week to invest in these youth. Um, but they need you. I want to read a couple quotes with names changed from moms or youth of why they want a mentor. I would like a mentor because I think I need a role model and my mom won't be able to teach me certain things as I'm a boy. <clears throat> I'm referring Gary because he's really struggling with academics, low self-esteem, and loss of friends. He struggles to find purpose and sets low expectations for himself and the peers that he allows in his life. Mary is very much the caretaker of her younger siblings. Her home is very hectic, and she does not get the one-on-one -on -one attention she so deserves. The family became involved with the child welfare system in November due to concerns of if the home was safe. <clears throat> so if you're not going to foster parent, which is, a, is very hard, uh, mentoring is the next best way to impact the generation. And this church is a beautiful place that takes good care of our families. But outside of here, outside of young Christian families, kids are on the margins of our society. Schools are underfunded. Single parents are under-equipped to raise their uh, youth properly. Um, there's just not structure and love in their lives. Um, so I would invite each of you to consider being a mentor. Um, there's not really a qualification for a mentor other than that you love Jesus and you have time to do it. Um, this past year at our graduation party, we had a youth and a mentor that had been together since sixth grade, and a 18-year-old Latino boy told a 59-year-old Asian man, you are my best friend. Um, and that's the long-term reward of what you get to do. But we're also planting a lot of seeds that we never get to see. You know, as a parent, uh, you know, you hopefully get to see your kid grow up and see what they're like when they're 30, but 
uh, we may or may not get to see that, and that's okay. Um, to reemphasize what Jordan said, God is not a fixer, at least not yet. God is a wither. He sent his son to be with us and to be one of us, um, and he's calling us to do the same. And instead of wasting time worrying about when he will fix it, when the last day will come, we can hasten that day by being with our neighbor and being Christ's love to our neighbor. Um, <clears throat> so I would really consider just invite you guys to consider mentoring. And if you can't, you can donate to Save Our Youth. You can join our email prayer list for those of us that are our mentoring here. Um, and we also have four events. The next one's coming up in March each year that you can volunteer at. Um, but God is telling you to come and see, to come and see his face, uh, to come and be touched by his love. So uh, I would invite you to consider doing that. I'll be downstairs after service if you want to talk. And thanks so much to Advent for, yeah, this newer partnership with Save Our Youth. We just got going back last fall. So thanks. Street people downstairs, do you have more questions? Matt, is there a sign-up anywhere, or could you get a piece of paper? Okay, where's that? With you downstairs? Cool. Um, <clears throat> you know, last thing I'll say, and then we'll, we'll move on to the table. Some of you, your schedule, maybe your gifting just doesn't fit with either one of these ministries. Maybe it does, and that's something to consider. If it doesn't, that's, that's fine. In the end, don't let the, the invitation get too complicated. <laughs> Be with Jesus. Become like him. Learn to do as he did. Love your neighbor. And pay attention to our liturgy even as you're sent out from here. Um, go and, and do the work you've, you've been given to do. Um, be his missionaries. Father, I pray that you would inspire us, um, encourage us, give us a vision for the, the goodness, the beauty, the purpose of being about the Missio Dei, being about your work in the world, being a part of the healing and the beauty and the justice and goodness you long to bring through your people. Thank you for the so many people here in this family who serve you so beautifully in countless ways. Take us deeper. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to you through what you just heard. For questions, additional information, and resources, please visit adventdenver.com.